0: well everyone it's our honor to be speaking with someone who's suddenly been thrust into what I can for as far as I can tell is worldwide fame that's uh Professor Matthias Desmet he is the professor of clinical psychology at Ghent University in Belgium and this fame I speak of is because uh we've all been asking a big question around the last two years why you've heard this story before my friends why is it that my neighbors can scream at my two-year-old toddler for pushing them on the swing? and only three, four weeks later, they can be as friendly as warm apple pie. Why did people lose their minds? So the the good professor is here to talk about uh, what he's put forward, this idea of mass formation, which we've been hearing about. But today I would very much like to go deeper into not just the, the, the mechanics of mass formation, which you can get from some other great interviews done with uh, Matthias, but I'd love to get into the why behind it, where we go from here, love to talk about ethics and uh deontology and uh, utilitarianism materialism uh epistemology so it's going to be a fun exploration of his theory welcome to the show Matthias thank you very much Matt
1: I'm glad to be here
0: so like I I said in the intro I'm sure you're, you're sick of saying the same thing over and over in so many interviews uh what is mass formation but perhaps we could we could get that out of the way briefly and concisely what it is and the mechanics of it so that we can step into uh, what comes after it and how we can prepare for the future. So can you please explain from your amazing book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, what is mass formation and why is it so popular as an explanation of what we've been through?
1: Oh, well, yes.
0: In a nutshell,
1: it's just a specific kind of group formation, a specific kind of group formation that has very specific effects at the level of individual mental functioning, such as uh, that people became inca- become incapable of taking a critical distance of what the group believes and that they are willing to sacrifice everything that used to be important for them, that they become radically intolerant for dissonant voices and that in the end, they start to commit cruelties towards the people who do not go along with them. Um, so this mass summation can happen at a, at a small scale, but it also can happen on a very large scale. And that's... And in that case, if if, if an entire society is in the grip of mass formation, society is at risk of totalitarianism. That means the emergence of a very specific new kind of state, uh, a state system that emerged for the first time in the 20th century in the Soviet Union and in Nazi Germany, and which is based on the psychological principle of mass formation. So what happened, and in order, this this large-scale mass formation that leads to totalitarianism emerges when the... Populations in a very specific condition. That means that many people have to feel disconnected from their social and natural environment, have to feel lonely, mm-hmm. uh, and they have to struggle with uh, a lack of meaning-making, and they have to be confronted with what we call freely floating anxiety, frustration, and aggression. So that's a very specific state. And the one condition follows from the other. If, if, if people feel lonely, they will start to be confronted with lack of meaning-making, and, and they will start to develop free-floating anxiety, frustration, aggression. So, and if the population is in this state, and someone distributes a narrative through the mass media, indicating an object of anxiety, and the strategy to deal with that object of anxiety, for instance, a virus, uh, lockdowns to deal with the virus, or concentration camps to deal with the Jews or crusades to deal with the Muslims or witch hunts to deal with the witches or all historical examples. If someone disseminates such a narrative through the mass media, and then uh, all this freely floating anxiety might connect to this narrative, to this object of anxiety. And uh, people might be willing to follow the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, even if the strategy is utterly absurd. And in this way, people start to fight a collective heroic battle with the object of anxiety, the virus, the anti-vaxxers, the Jews, the I don't know what. Uh, And it is as if, and that's crucial, by fighting this collective heroic battle, it is as if a new social bond emerges. It is as if people feel not lonely uh, anymore. It is as if they find a new kind of meaning making in life and all their anxiety can be connected to one object, they know what they're anxious from now, and they can direct all their frustration and aggression to the same object. So that's in a nutshell, how a mass formation emerges in a society and how certain leaders can take advantage of it or even create it uh, in order uh, to to, to, to seize control of the state system uh, uh, with the help of the masses. So Hannah Arendt said, Mass for totalitarianism is a diabolic pact between the elite and the masses. That's what she said. <clears throat>
0: wow. <clears throat> so obviously this is so much more than a, a dictatorship. This is not just a unilateral doling out of power. Complete, something completely different. I think a classical dictatorship is
1: based on completely different principles. In a classical dictatorship, there is just this small group, this dictatorial regime, who has this huge uh, aggressive potential uh and 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 uh which is the reason why people are scared of of, of, of this small group and why they accept that this small group uh, imposes its social contract unilaterally to society that's a dictatorship that's completely different in many respects it's even opposite than a classical dictatorship
0: well you know what I, perhaps i'll try and understand more of your mass formation theory through um applying it to modern day situations, which I haven't seen other people do with you in interviews. So let me ask about someone like Trump, for example, it seems a little bit uh, off topic, but I I think it, it, it might work. Why is it that if we look at movements as people, uh, you know, take sides, they become uh, polarized. Is that, Applicable to mass formations, for for example, with the Trump phenomenon. Whether you look at people who Trump uh, support him very strongly, or you look at the mass media who says that all supporters are mesmerized by him, he's a dictator, he's going to be the next Hitler. You know, there's some extremes out there, uh, and at the well, moment, yes, there is a huge difference between you know
1: when 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 a when a population is in this specific state uh, in which they are anxious, feel a lot of frustration and aggression. Uh, they are all always vulnerable. There are always, there are different, it's always dangerous in that condition. Yes. Uh, the totalitarianism can emerge, but also some other nasty state systems can emerge. And in my opinion, I, I don't believe that Trump would, would, would have established a new totalitarianism just because his ideological uh, basis was not very pronounced. Totalitarian leaders are always extremely uh, ideologically driven. Like Hitler had his race theories, uh, Stalin had his uh, Marxist uh, historical materialist theories. Um, uh, totalitarianism is, is always starts always from a fanatic, blind belief in an ideology, and that's also the case now. The ideology we we, we that surfaced during the Corona crisis, for instance, or the the ideology that. Uh, uh, on which the corona narrative, the corona measures and so on were based, uh, was a technocratic ideology, a transhumanist ideology. What we see now, the, we, we see a, 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 a certain elite group of people now, a certain set of institutions who believe that all the major problems that we are facing in the world, real or imagined, uh, whether it is about terrorism, racism, uh, whether it is about viruses, or, uh, or 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 um, climate change, or, or no matter what, there are a set there are there is a certain elite, a set of institutions who believe that the only way to face these problems, to deal with these pl- problems, the only way to prevent that we will be destroyed as a society, uh, is reshaping society in a strictly technology, technologically controlled. Manner. So we need, there are many people who believe that we need to go to a society in which everything is under technological control, a kind of surveillance state, a worldwide surveillance state, in which the human being merges with all kinds of technological devices, in which a superhuman being is created, as described by Harari in his famous book, Homo Deus, that's this this entire idea that a life and society should be technologically controlled. That's the ideology, usually referred to as a technocratic ideology or a transhumanist ideology, mm-hmm. that seizes power now. And um, that's typical. Totalitarianism mm-hmm. always starts from the obsession, from the the the, the um, uh, delusional idea that a new society should be created according to a certain pseudo-scientific theory, and that this new society will be like the paradise for the human being uh, that um, uh, it will create like a new technologically, uh, scientifically based paradise. That's that's always the, the, Hannah Arendt explains this very well in her book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. And I don't believe that Trump was this kind of leader. I don't say, that there were no dangers with uh, with, with Trump's style and with the way in which uh, Trump uh, practiced leadership. That's not what I say, but I don't believe he's a totalitarian leader. I don't believe so.
0: Okay. So that's an interesting distinction. The polarization and strong sides warring against one another is not necessarily what we're talking about here in terms of mass formation. So then my question becomes, when you look at old mass masses that have formed, like you've described, like in Nazi Germany and so on, without the technocratic... Um, ability to form they're still forming masses aren't they where people become a totalitarian state and so on so my question then is given uh now where we are with this what you've just described this transhumanist moment that we live in uh are we more ripe to enter into these masses on a more frequent basis is this not going to be the last mass we form oh no no There's this this won't probably not
1: be the last one I want to add something to the answer I gave to your question, uh, to your previous question. Yes. You know, Trump and Trump's discourse yes. could lead to mass formation, and it has led to mass formation, I think. Okay. But not all mass formation leads to totalitarianism. That's an, ex- an, an important uh, differentiation, I think. So it doesn't matter. I will answer your next question now. <laughs> but, so, well, just um, on that,
0: Matthias, when you say yeah. uh, a mass could form without going to totalitarianism, could you give us some examples of that? Perhaps climate change as it is now, we don't have climate lockdowns yet, so it's not totalitarian yet?
1: Um, no, but, but of course, the, the climate movement um, is created by the climate narrative and the climate narrative Uh, in its turn um, is associated to the um, sustainable development goals of the UN Mm -hmm. and the sustainable development goals of the UN, I think those are part of this new technocratic ideology. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the climate movement in this respect is part of the newly emerging totalitarianism that we see now, which will be a technocratic totalitarianism. I cannot repeat that um, enough. Hannah Arendt warned us already in 1951 Mm. that we've seen fascist totalitarianism, that we've seen communist totalitarianism, but that Uh, very soon, we would witness the emergence of a new totalitarianism, she said, a technocratic totalitarianism led by dull bureaucrats and technocrats. And that's what we are facing now, I think, is this new totalitarianism. It's different from previous totalitarianism, but it is the same in this respect, that it is extremely ideologically driven and that it is based on mass formation. So uh, uh, that... so, climate, the climate movement, I believe, is a, is a, is a, is just part of the new ideology, which uh, is uh, is part of uh, uh, this technocratic totalitarianism. That doesn't mean that I don't believe that there is no that there are no problems with nature. I do believe we have to uh, reconsider our, our our relationship with nature. I, I do believe so, but, uh, but, I, but I don't believe in the, in the climate narrative as a solution to the problems uh, that we created uh, uh, throughout the last uh, few centuries um, uh, at the level of climate and nature. Uh, I believe that the climate narrative in the end will lead to a so-called eco-modernistic approach, uh, a techno- also a, a, an attempt to uh, solve climate problems through much more technological control, uh of of
0: society and that is doomed to fail i think um so is it possible for the climate change okay there must be we can't just simply write it all off as a mass formation right let's assume there there are some facts there is some reality in the climate movement right um in the same way people yelled at me for in melbourne here in the most unlocked city in the world was illegal to push your kids on a swing in a park outside your house, and we had neighbours yelling at us for doing that, they would scream, you're spreading the virus. In the same way I've seen some of the climate movement scream, uh, the earth will be in, in in embers, cinders in 20 years because of your petrol car. Why don't you change your car? Like it's just unhinged. But if that rhetoric, if that um, brainless activity wasn't there, if they were just simply arguing for there's a problem, we need to fix it, then that wouldn't be a mess, right? That would not be a mass formation. Can you come again, Matt? I, I, I the last part. So if, yes. So if, the if, climate. If, what I'm, what I'm concerned about is we've talked about the climate change movement like it's, a, just a mass formation, with people mm-hmm. losing their minds and making accusations and so on. But doesn't that also throw out the facts, which I understand uh, are debated? Uh, yes. But, How can we look at real issues? like COVID-19, like uh, climate change, like uh, whatever, without choosing a side, as in the world is going to be embers and broken and finished in 10 years, or I believe in Matthias Desmond. It's all just mass formation, so I'm going to ignore COVID. I'm going to ignore climate change. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know,
1: again, I do think there are real problems and that there are real problems which will be very hard to solve. I'm not someone who uh, who denies that... that, 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 that. There are all kinds of problems at the level of, 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 again, uh, our relationship with nature, for instance, microplastics in the oceans is a huge problem. But um, uh, the strange thing is that while I'm inclined to believe that in order to solve uh, uh, the problems uh, related to our environment, uh, to to, to nature, I believe that we should, the the human being should, Live in a more natural way. He, should, he should, should try to live closer to nature, and that's ex- and 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 this this climate narrative seems to suggest exactly the opposite. It seems to suggest exactly the opposite. We have to, we have to. Um, they believe that seem to believe that uh, it's only further technological developments, the development of electric cars, and so on. Uh, uh application of more and more technology in society will be the solution to the problem. like a wood stove will not be allowed anymore in a few years or in ten years yes. while a wood stove is, is much closer to nature I believe than, a, than an electric uh, heater in, 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 in your in your in your in your uh, house. So I don't think it's that easy but I think in my opinion what we have to consider is we can make a choice to solve the problems, the environmental problems, climate problems, and so on. We can go further in the direction uh, uh, we were going into and, 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 and push the uh, industrialization, the mechanization of the world, the use of technology even further, or we can go back and try to live a life with less mechanization, with less industrialization and less technology. And I believe that the second option is the, is the real option will, will uh, would be the, would be the real solution through by which I don't want to say that it, that I think it will be easy it will be difficult it's will be very difficult and we need to take responsibility and we need I we, we need to think uh, we, we need to change I do believe we need to change we cannot go on as we um, in the same direction as we were going and now so I believe we need to change I don't say that there are no problems not at all but uh, but I don't believe that a uh, further rationalization, mechanization, industrialization of the world uh, will be the solution,
0: not at okay. all. Okay. Right, if we, we get back onto the psychological grounds, your, your, um, your explanation for what we've seen has been broadly accepted, it seems, by many people, but not by, by some not. So perhaps you could tell us of how um, the idea of mass formation has been uh, received, what kind of feedback you've had and what kind of opposition you've had to it. Yes, okay. Well, a few
1: minutes ago, you asked me uh, what the difference is between uh, the ancient masses and the masses in modern times, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You referred to that. So someone told me, uh, Peter Brigham, uh, an American psychiatrist, for instance, heavily criticized me a few weeks ago or one or two weeks ago, I think, uh, saying that there was no mass formation at all during the Corona crisis. Uh, that I blame the victims and so on. And he believed that it was impossible that there would be a mass formation, that there would have been a mass formation during the Corona crisis because people were isolated. So they couldn't gather. They couldn't form a crowd. They wouldn't get together. Uh, they couldn't get together. So how could they have fell prey to mass formation? That was his, his uh, one of his criticisms. Now, and that actually applies to the same thing you referred to, Uh, the ancient masses were physical masses, meaning that uh, masses or crowds that were formed because people met physically, in person. And, but modern masses usually are so-called lonely masses. Mm. And people like Gustave Le Bon, Sigmund Freud, Canetti, and um, uh, definitely also Jacques uh, Ellul, all stressed, that there is a difference between a physical mass and a lonely mass. The physical masses of ancient times, think about the Crusades or the witch hunts, usually were short-lived. They emerged, were often very violent, not, not always, and then they disappeared again. And they were hard to control. They were hard to control. Physical masses are very unpredictable. They can go in all directions. But there is always also a kind of mass formation in which people, never meet physically. And that's why you need uh, propaganda for, you need propaganda and mass media to create such a mass. In this case, everyone can be in in an isolated state in his home, but everyone will be reached by the same propaganda, will be in the grip of the same representations, the same words, the same narratives, the same myths, and in this way, exactly the same psychological effect will emerge. People will all start to form a mass and they will start to be in the grip of this enthusiastic solidarity, knowing that they all fight for the same cause. So a mass can form even when the people that constitute a mass uh, never meet. And it's even the case that lonely masses, in a lonely mass, individuals are in the perfect state Perfectly vulnerable for indoctrination and propaganda, even much more than in a physical mass. So that's one distinction between uh, between uh, the ancient masses and, and the masses of modern times, which is very important. In which I believe uh, is uh, um, uh, neglected by uh, someone like Peter Brigan for instance. Um, so, but I've been critis- I've been criticized for much more than uh, than that. <laughs> um, it, uh, people have also said that i would blame the victims i would yes. say that it's all the fault of the population who uh, who have felt prey to this mass formation who, uh, who who is hypnotized well i don't blame the victims i think or at least that's not my impression uh, i just say that everyone uh, has a certain responsibility in this crisis also the population it's wrong to, to believe that there is this small uh, elite that represents the pure evil here on earth and that all the rest are uh, powerless, innocent victims. No, uh, we all are in the grip of uh, this rationalist, materialist view on man and the world, this ideology that emerged from the 16th century onwards. And this ideology is the real enemy. That it's n- we should never make another human being to our enemy. It's the ideology, it's a way of thinking that we have to overcome. And this way of thinking, this rationalist ideology, this belief that the universe is like a dead material machine that can be understood completely in terms of, um, uh, as, uh, in rationalist terms, that a kind of a machine uh, a set of elementary particles, al- atoms, molecules, that all interact with each other according to the laws of mechanics and that consequently can be perfectly understood in a rationalist, mechanist way. That's the problem. When we, be- when we look at the universe like that, um, uh, we, we kill uh, uh, humanity, we kill the mystery in the universe, and we disconnect ourselves from the trembling heart of nature and of reality. And in this way, that's the reason why people started to to fall prey to loneliness in the population. They started to feel disconnected, alienated from their environment. That's the root cause of this alienation, this loneliness that is increasing time and time again throughout the last 300 300 centuries. And that kind of reasoning, that idea that everything in reality can be rationally understood, controlled and manipulated, is also the root cause of the emergence of this new elite, this new elite, which believed that it should control society through indoctrination and propaganda. That's exactly what indoctrination and propaganda is. It is this idea that first we should understand the psychological processes in society and then control and manipulate them through indoctrination propaganda. From the beginning of the 19th century onwards, uh, we've seen the emergence of this, of this modern propaganda and indoctrination. And it was, a perfectly, it was a perfect consequence. It, it, this was perfectly in line with this elementary, basic, mechanist, rationalist, materialist view on man in the world. So, is this view on man in the world, this mechanist, rationalist ideology, that creates both certain conditions in the population and that creates... A new elite, which relies heavily on indoctrination propaganda. Um, So the elite is responsible to a certain extent, but also the population. We are all a little bit responsible. That's my analysis. I I look at what happens now as a complex dynamical system, as an emergent phenomenon, Mm. uh, of which both the elite and the population is one aspect, one part, uh, but I, I'm not inclined to, to, to say that uh, 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 that it's all and the fault of the elite and only the fault of the elite. That's not true, I think. If you start from that analysis, the yes. only conclusion you can, you can draw is that we have to destroy uh, the elite in a violent revolution. That's the only conclusion. And in this way, we will not destroy the elite, we will destroy ourselves. And even if we would succeed in destroying the elite, the population would recreate the same elite as long as it continues to be in the grip of this mechanist materialist fuel man in the world. That's the point. It, intellectually, it's wrong to believe that it's only the fault of the elite. And at a tactical level, it's extremely destructive and stupid because violence against the elite will not solve anything. It will be used against the people who uh, uh, object against uh, uh, the the current emerging ideology. Um, And even if if it would succeed in destroying the elite, we would soon be uh, confronted with the same problem again.
0: If we don't change the way
1: in which we think and look at the world. That's the point.
0: Okay. So if what we're observing is uh, emergent phenomena, then... I guess, Klaus Schwab and these sort of characters are more opportunists than uh, central planners.
1: Klaus Schwab is a part of the problem, and certain institutions are a part of the problem. Uh, the, the WEF, the W-E-F, uh, and uh, the W-H-O, and so on, are part of the problem. And these guys, these institutions, and these these, these ideologists, ideologists such as Schwab, they definitely... Uh, uh made plans uh they wanted to change society to reshape society uh to 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 uh, replace democracy by technocracy that's all true i agree that's you have to be blind not to see it it's out there you can see it so that's but it's only part of the problem we should not be too surprised about that large institutions such as the 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 WEF and the WHO. That's exactly what such institutions do. They became the leading institutions in the world because they represent the dominant ideology, this materialist mechanist ideology. They represent that ideology. They became the leading institutions, and that's what institutions do. Institutions make plans. Institutions have this idea about how uh, society should evolve. Evolutions. Uh, uh, have the intentions to reshape society. That's what institutions do. So it's part of the problem. And sometimes these institutions and these individuals associated to them uh, 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 manipulate uh, society. Uh, using. They do use indoctrination propaganda at a massive scale, definitely, at a huge scale, more than ever. That's all true. That's all true. But it's only part of the problem. And we should never be so naive to believe that the problem will be solved if we destroy these institutions and these, and these uh, uh, individuals associated to them. That won't be true. If, if we do not succeed in uh, changing our view on man of the world, if we do not succeed in considering the universe in a different way, if we continue to believe that the universe is a material phenomenon, or is only a material phenomenon that can be... And, and that rational understanding should be the cornerstone of human living together. Um, if we continue to look at the human being as a biological organism rather than as a as a, a mystical being that has a soul and that 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 um, f- and for which uh, ethical principles are of crucial importance, and so on. If we do not succeed in changing our view on man and the world, we can destroy all the global institutions we can kill every uh uh, uh, technocratic and uh, transhumanist uh, individual we will be confronted with the same problem and by the way uh, the chance that we can destroy the elite is much smaller than the chance that our own attempts to destroy the elite will Uh, uh, imply our own destruction, will lead to our own destruction. So there are reasons enough to uh, be sceptical about um, an explanation of what happens now merely in terms of one large conspiracy.
0: Matisse, I didn't realise you're a poet. Earlier you said uh, we've disconnected ourselves from the trembling heart of humanity. How beautiful. Well Mm -hmm. said, sir. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Can I ask you, perhaps, um, this may be a bit of a epistemological question how do i know that you are correct in the sense that the accusation i've seen against you either people are saying yes you're 100 right you mass formation explains it all the detractors don't really engage and say no here's why it's not mass formation they generally say there's no problem what are you talking about you're, you're you've offered up a uh, explanation for a problem that doesn't exist and certainly walking around here in australia similar to canada a little bit similar to the UK, most of the people, if we accept that they're subject of a mass formation, they don't turn around and justify what they've done. They say to me, there's nothing wrong. The world is normal. And perhaps I'm a bit too impressionable, but I struggle between the two camps quite often. And I, I, how do I know what you're telling me is the reality? And we're not all in a fantasy. And they're correct, saying this is normal. We're over-hyping, over-hyperbolizing uh, everything here. You were over, over what? Over- Over-exaggerating things. They said, life's normal. I can go to the restaurant. I've got my four vaccinations. Um, you know, what are you complaining about? You're, you're smirking. Oh, yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> well, you know, um,
1: I, 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 uh, we all have, have our, our reality is always based on an interpretation it's always based, so I don't believe that one interpretation is, is, is absolutely true and the other absolutely false, but still I believe that there are reasons enough uh, to say that there was a large scale mass formation and the kind of uh, group madness in this crisis. I will give you one example. You know, um, people often ask me like, okay, but was there not a mass formation uh, 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 after the, uh, the 9-11 attacks or was there not a mass formation uh, before, for instance, uh, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, or was there another mass formation here or there? And, uh, you know, I don't believe that there was a mass formation before the corona crisis, at least in uh, a, lo- a worldwide mass formation uh, during, before the corona crisis. The, the core characteristics of a real mass formation is that suddenly two new groups emerge. Mm-hmm. An in-group, a group that believes in a new narrative, Mm-hmm. And then a group that doesn't believe in it, that doesn't buy into this narrative, that doesn't go along with it. And the, what's quintessential is that if we want a real mass formation, leads to a completely new organization of all social bonds, all pre-existing groups, families, friendships, uh, colleagues, uh, uh, political parties, and so on. All pre-existing groups suddenly are split in two. And the only question that matters from then on is whether or not what you believe about the virus. Do you believe in the narrative or do you not believe in the narrative? And that was so clear. That was exactly what happened during the corona crisis. Suddenly, people within families, mothers and sons, brothers, didn't want to talk to each other anymore. Because the one believed in the narrative and the other didn't. That's the sign that there is a mass formation, a real mass formation. A real mass formation is so powerful at the psychological level, sucks all the energy away from the pre-existing social bonds, the bonds between individuals, and redistributes it and leads to the emergence of two new groups that split all pre-existing groups into that's a real mass formation. And I... I see I'm, I'm quite confident that that is what happened in the corona crisis and, and we've, we've seen all the yeah. other characteristics as well we've seen all the other characteristics as well like okay.
0: the, oh go on are oh, the, the, those groups that you just mentioned uh do they ne- necessarily have to be of a certain size i mean here in australia i would say it's 80 to 90 percent would be in the mass and only a very small amount would not be in it yeah to 30 yeah
1: that, that depends a little bit on the stage of the mass formation, I think. But usually, usually it's only a relatively small part of the population that is really in the grip of the mass formation, that is really hypnotized. Oh. Um, and so usually it's only somewhere in between 20 and 30%, I believe. Uh, can be a little bit more, can be a little bit less. Um, and, but then there is a, a silent majority who always goes along with the loudest voice in society, uh, and this, this group is usually very large. It's, it's, it's very often, it's about 60%, 65%. So, and the group that really objects and really defies the masses and really uh, tries to wake up the masses, tries to speak out, uh, steps up. This group is, uh, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's 20%, That's but usually it's, it's smaller. Uh, and very often it's only a few percentages of the population, like in France, during the large-scale mass formation uh, around the uh, uh, Dreyfus Affair. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, the Not Jewish sure. officer who was uh, uh, blamed of, of one or another, of, of, of treasure or something, I don't know. Um, he, uh, uh, well, there was a huge, large-scale mass formation in France in the beginning of the 19th century. And uh, there was a small group of people who didn't want to go along with the masses and who, who, um, who, um, who uh, spoke out. Who, who, uh, spoke out. Um, And this group was extremely small. It was about 200,000 people, I think, which was maybe 1% of the population of France. And this group won. That's important. No matter how small the group is that objects and that defies the masses, that doesn't go along with the the mass formation, it can win. (laughs) That's the point. But only on the condition that it continues to speak out. The largest mistake we can make in this situation, if you don't go along with... uh, uh, With uh, the mainstream, with the mass formation, is that you start to believe that it's safer uh, uh, to remain silent. That's not true. The best option is always to speak out at many different levels, both tactically, because if you stop to speak out, the masses will become more and more aggressive and they will. Uh, try to destroy. Start to start to, to be, become aggressive towards the people who do not go along with them. But also at the ethical level, if in the, in such times, if, if 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 there is a mass formation uh, and uh, and the typical uh, dehumanization that uh, accompanies it, uh, if under these conditions you uh, choose to stick to the principles of to, to, to ethical principles of humanity, then you will feel that you go through a, through a fast process of mental evolution you will feel that he becomes stronger and stronger and stronger as a human being Uh, and that's the real uh, um, yeah if you look if you if you know that then you see that this entire crisis is not meaningless it will give birth to uh, a new group of people who uh, uh, will be more and more in touch with uh, with 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 the core of humanity with uh, the eternal, perennial principles of, of humanity and in this way, uh, uh, the small group will eventually be capable of articulating new principles, which can be the true basis of human living together. Uh, rational understanding can never be the basis of human living together. That's the major mistake our culture is based on now. The only true basis for uh, human living together is not scientific research, not academic papers. It's ethical principles. Where do you be... get
0: these ethical principles, Matthias? Because it seems that they often quote, albeit a teleological ethical principle, a utilitarianism. You know, we we're going to kill a few to save many. Um, so when you refer to that, how can people find their ethics? When, for example, deontological ethics or a sense of duty is is very old fashioned. People. Have dropped that by the wayside, and we see that in falling numbers of, of Christianity and so on. So, where do you get your ethics from in this new world that you you mentioned? If it's not that uh, utilitarian perspective, not from a, not from one or another theory, that's for sure. Right. Uh,
1: uh, I believe that um, we will have to reinvent them. These these ethical principles are universal and um uh, in a certain way always the same and still everyone has to reinvent them everyone has to articulate them in a new way and in his own way that's when these principles become really your principles and when these principles uh do not are not the same as dogmas they do not become dogmas in that way so we have to re, have to reinvent them and i think that you know if you just um I think the in my book I described that as long as you believe that uh, you can you can uh, that the rational understanding is the most important thing for a human being and that everything around us can be understood in a rational way. Uh, I believe you disconnect yourself from the from your environment. That was at least my impression for a long time. Uh, I too believed that. Everything could be rationally understood. I just couldn't imagine that there could be something in the universe that could not be rationally understood. And um, the more I started to study, uh, for instance, complex dynamical systems theory, the more I started to understand that it just is not true. Nature is not rational. It literally behaves as an irrational number in mathematics. It is literally, strictly unpredictable, for instance, and uh, that's... Suddenly, suddenly I started to understand what someone like Niels Bohr, uh, the famous uh, physicist who won the Nobel Prize, wanted to say when he said, "When uh, when it comes to atoms, language can only be used as poetry. He said only poetic language can grasp something of this extremely absurd behavior of elementary particles. And some other physicists of the 20th century concluded that uh, they became so aware that human, the human rational mind is so limited in understanding the mystery of life that he started to get in touch with something that always transcends and always escapes rational understanding, a certain feeling for the real essence of reality. Um, One of my favorite quotes is one of René Thom, one of the most famous uh, mathematicians of the 20th century, who said, this part of reality that can be understood in a rational way is very limited, and the rest of reality we can only understand by empathically resonating with it. That's one of my favorite quotes. And it shows me, uh, like, you know, also, for instance, the samurai culture in Japan, very well aware of that rational understanding is important we need to try to rationally understand it's extremely important but it's not the end stage of the process of understanding the first everyone who learns a craft or an art or uh, no matter what uh uh, or 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 even everyone who delves deep into one another scientific academic discipline everyone the beginning of the learning process can always be rationally structured and understood. If you learn an art, you will first have to learn a set of rules, a set of techniques, which rationally explain you how you can learn the art. But the samurai said, so when the samurai learned the martial arts, they always stressed that, when they teach the martial arts, they always stressed that this technical stage of the learning process, this rational stage is only the beginning. And they said, You first have to protect the rules of an art, and then you have to break them. And it's only when you break them that you can really become a master. And they said, um, learning the techniques of a martial art is difficult, but forgetting them is even much more difficult. And if you don't succeed in forgetting them before you go to the battlefield you will die on the battlefield so that's the rational every attempt to understand the reality rational will at a certain moment arrive at a point where rational understanding doesn't work anymore and at that moment you have to move on and you have to switch to a new way of knowing the world which is much more a resonating way which has much more to do with feeling it's um, someone becomes a master in a craft or an art when he starts to develop a certain feeling with what he does and that kind of feeling cannot be conveyed in an easy way it's it's, it's everyone has to go through the process in order to develop this this feeling that is so typical for someone who is a master in, in a certain art or a craft and that feeling and, and when you start to get in touch with reality in this way you also start to become aware of principles you cannot rationally describe what you have to do to make this or that object to practice this or that art but you start to feel it and you you can formulate articulate certain principles and it are these principles these principles which Or like uh, the effect, or or, or, or related to, this resonating knowledge. There are these principles, these principles, the ethical principles, eternal principles. It are that principles that are uh, that can be the basis of 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 a society in which human beings can live a life worthy of a human being.
0: Okay, uh, Matthias, what do you make of religion then? Because what you've described in terms of transcendence does have a solution in many of the religions, uh, which often have dogma in them, which I have found to be a very uh, steadying force to prevent against mass formation. Some of the people who have resisted the most have a strong dogma of any faith. Uh, And so why must it be a new sense of transcendence that you talk about? Why can't it be a perfected, a much better version of, of, of the religious stories that we've had for a very long time?
1: I, I believe that, uh, you know, um, Max Planck, uh, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, um, uh, who was one of the, of the founding fathers of, uh, of modern physics, um, said I've spent my life in in the laboratory investigating material phenomena. I won the Nobel Prize, he said. But in the end, I concluded that science arrives in the end where religion once started. In a personal, original uh, uh, encounter with with that, what transcends all rational understanding. And he said, and to be clear, he said, that what transcends all rational understanding. For me, he said, that is a personal God. So, uh, I do believe that uh, the religious experience, the seminal rigid, religious experience, is very important. Uh, it's also, I believe, the, 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 the ultimate scientific experience. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, uh, but... Uh, it's, I don't believe that the solution, that we can find a solution in establishing a new institutionalized dogmatic religion. That's what, exactly what we have to avoid. Mm-hmm. Whether you are dogmatic as a scientist or as a religious person, it doesn't make a large difference, I think. In two cases, you're dogmatic and you, you alienate, through your dogmas, you alienate yourself. From uh, the, the 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 vibrating, pulsating core of life, of nature, of human existence. So, um, Max Jacob said it was a French poet. He said something. He also had this very beautiful quote. He said, "The truth is always new. <laughs> so we can never catch the truth and and isolate it in in, in dogmas and in, in definitive knowledge. We have then one way or another. We will have to." um have the courage to time and time again reinvent the truth uh, to time and time again go back to this pulsating core of, uh, of our existence and of, uh, of, of nature and life around us and to uh, articulate uh, uh, what we experienced there and ever new uh, sentences and ever new principles which in the end or eternally the same. That's a paradox and a contradiction, but it is like that.
0: That's uh, very confusing for me, uh, Matthias, to be talking to a scientist, and uh, you know, it's almost as if you're making an argument against objective truth, unchanging objective truth. I mean, you're just saying we need to redefine truth. Uh, you know, yes,
1: yes, we need to redefine truth. Absolutely, and that's what I will do in my next book. I'm writing a book now on indoctrination propaganda in contrast with truth speech um, um, and uh, yes of course I, well, I i i think that that science is important i think that rationality is important we have to be as rational as possible but we have to be aware that uh, the 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 end point of rationality is not rationality itself right rationality is a way towards a higher knowledge, which is much more, you know, this resonating knowledge, this truth speech, this feeling, this empathic touch with, uh, with the things around us, people around us, also uh, nature around us. It's not rationality itself. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's the point, <laughs> that, okay. that okay. if we believe that uh, the ultimate goal, the ultimate knowledge is rational in nature, we will kill life. We will kill life. Simply because um, uh, rationality is always a dead, static uh, uh, system of beliefs uh, and in, 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 uh, in which the core, the vibrating, pulsating core of life can never be represented. And if you want to reduce life to the rational dimension, then there is no other option than, than to destroy life. And that's, uh, I'm afraid, what... Uh, we are doing now to a certain extent uh, our rational uh, analysis of life uh, our rational, our attempts to rationally control and manipulate life uh, leads only to death
0: <laughs> so let me ask you then about the exit of this mass formation that we're in worldwide and what's coming for us in the future how do people exit a mass formation is it one by one or is it all at once do big events happen does the center majority suddenly wake up what happens
1: Two things will happen at the same time, I believe. The people who uh, go along with this rationalist ideology and who uh, will become more and more in the grip of this uh, uh, newly emerging mass formation, uh, which didn't stop uh, now. It, it it may be, the, its the, the strength decreased a little bit now, but it definitely didn't disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, these people will, well, The good scenario is that the people who do not go along with this ideology realize that they have to continue to speak out. That's a good scenario. I hope that will happen, and I am confident that it will happen. If these people continue to speak out, then the large group, the masses, will slowly exhaust themselves, they will become weaker and weaker, and the other group will become stronger and stronger, and at a certain moment, the small group will become mentally more powerful, It will have it will become more powerful. It will have a, a larger, more powerful impact on society than the large group, and society will restructure. That's what will happen, but I guess it's, it's a natural process in which a new organism is born, a large group that is putting a lot of pressure on a small group that pushes the small group on a path where it would not go, where it would not go on without a large group who puts it under pressure. So this is, it's like a natural process of a, of a small organism that is being born. But it will be a difficult process, I think. I think we have to, we will have to realize that we might lose a lot uh, during this process. But uh, in the end, I always say the same: I lost some things now throughout the last two years because I I spoke out uh, not too much. I won't. Uh, it's not too dramatic. Definitely not. But uh, no matter how much I lost and no matter how much I will lose, I'm the longer I I continue to speak out, the more I have the impression that I win the only thing that is really important to a human being, an awareness, a real awareness of the essence of humanity. Uh, um, uh, uh, And in one way or another, this leads to the awareness in myself that uh, that's the only thing that really matters. Sooner or later, we will all die. Uh, And no matter what choice we make, if we choose to go along with the, with the mainstream ideology, with the masses, we might also lose a lot. That's a strange thing. Uh, the masses and totalitarian systems are typically monsters that devour their own children. That's, uh, are the words of Hannah Arendt. So nobody, in the end, nobody is safe. Uh, and if we, if we have to lose a lot, uh, then we, the most important thing is that we make sure that we don't lose what is most important, namely our, our humanity and our, our principles. Um, that's, uh, that's what I always try to keep in mind.
0: So, so let me summarize. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to make sure I understand your, your, um, your projection here. The, the small group who are propagandizing, pushing a mass formation, they're going to win in the end over the majority and basically they're going to succeed whether it's through COVID or it's through climate change or whatever it is and then you're really speaking of a lifeboat strategy where there's a small contingent of those who don't fall for it they're not in the masses they're not in the crazy center of the mass formation either uh but they're recreating uh, uh, they're holding on for dear life in a lifeboat as this new organism of humanity is born is that accurate something
1: like that i don't see it too black and white there are very good people who are uh, in the masses uh, as well uh, there are very good people who uh, are scared to speak out uh, some of these people some of these uh, individuals or some of these these people i love very much uh, and i really hope uh, that uh, very soon there's a division between the masses and the others uh, will stop and that we will just consider each other again as a human beings. <laughs> um, um, so, But yes, I do believe that uh, it will be the non-conformists, the people who refuse to conform, the people who defy the masses. I believe that this, it are those people who uh, will deliver the solution for this worldwide crisis, unprecedented worldwide crisis we are in now, uh, which is like a, a metaphysical revolution, to use a term used by Michel de a metaphysical revolution in which one Metaphysical framework uh, is replaced by another, um, and yes, it will be the non-conformists uh, that will uh, that will uh, that will provide the solution. I, I do believe that. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. So uh, let me ask in, in uh, closing, what would be the greatest threats that you see on the horizon, and the greatest hopes? So I guess you've just spoken about a hope. You hope that the non-conformists can, you know, help usher in a new period of humanity but what are the greatest threats you see about i mean obviously there's so much going on in the world at the moment i'm thinking about obviously uh the united states is a big mover with um things heating up there with trump at the moment with the um, fbi raid and then the new elections coming uh what should we be on the lookout for is really what i'm asking so that we can prepare uh, ourselves it, it, for it, the depends.
1: it depends i think in the united states one risk is that there uh, that the situation would lead to a civil war that's one risk um, in the United States, not in Europe, I think. Um, but, you know, ultimately, there is only one big risk, and it is that the people who uh, uh, resist the people who do not want to go along with uh, the with emerging new ideology that these people uh, would stop to speak out uh, and that they would uh, uh, choose for a violent revolution that's it will fail definitely that's the risk that's 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 the major risk I, I believe the major risk um, if they don't if they continue to speak out well you know uh, nobody can guarantee us that we will survive or that 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 uh, we will not lose something or that it won't be very difficult but um, the group in itself will survive and uh, uh, it will offer an alternative in that in, in, in that case uh, for for what is emerging now. So uh, there is, you know, we can never predict exactly what will happen. Mm. If we try to predict it, if we try to understand it rationally, if we try to know rationally what we have to do, then we fall prey to the same kind of thinking, which, which is the problem, uh, which is the cause of the problems we are facing now. Um, so we can never understand it entirely. We can understand it to a certain extent, but much more important than trying to understand and predict what will happen is that we uh, stay focused on the level of the ethical principles, that we, that we stay focused on the principles um, uh, we have to live up to. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. And if we focus on the principles, we will feel that we become more and more quiet, calm, more and more determined, uh, that we feel stronger and stronger as a human being, and that we, more and more, no matter what what happens, will continue in the same direction without wavering. That's uh, the most important thing, I believe.
0: Okay, but not not everyone is as uh, uh, philosophical as that, Matthias. Um, I guess they'd be wanting me to ask you, if they see another mass formation on its way, what can they do to slow it down? uh what can they do to hide hide, i don't know if hide from it's the right word but to weather this weather the storm
1: first and for all
0: again continue to speak out don't try
1: to convince the people in the masses it won't work but just uh be vocal and speak out uh just articulate your own opinion, that's always always the most important thing at all all levels, at a strategical level, but also at at the level of your own evolution. It is exactly the fact that you speak out that will push you forward and that will make you go through an evolution. If you remain silent, then you're dead at the psychological level. You have to try to articulate your opinion. That's the first and most important thing. And of course, uh, another thing is You have to connect, we have to connect to each other, not only to the people who do not go along with the narrative, but also to the other people. Connect as human beings, Um, form small groups. Um, uh, We have to see each other from time to time. Uh, um, That's extremely important because mass formation always sucks away all the energy of all the individual social bonds and invests all this energy, this, psychological, this love, you could say, this all this psychological energy, it invests it all in the bond between the individual and the collective. Mm. And uh, if you want to go against, if you want to do something about mass formation, if you want to uh, yeah, slow, sl- slow it down, then you have to do the opposite. You have to invest energy, love, time, uh, in the bonds between individuals. Uh, mass formation is extreme collectivism. It's extreme collectivism. The individual soul is replaced by the group soul, said uh, Gustave Le Bon, and all, every, all individuals start to start to uh, 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 show a lot of solidarity for the collective and no solidarity anymore for the other individuals that's what happened in the corona crisis you could see it immediately yes we were everyone was talking about solidarity but at the same time everyone accepted that if their neighbor uh, got an accident on the street they were no longer allowed to help them or if their father or mother was dying and somewhere alone then they were not uh, allowed to visit them we all accepted Mm -hmm. that Uh, the solidarity was always a solidarity with the group with the collective Mm -hmm. everyone uh, demanded that everyone sacrificed all his own personal interests for the group. And that's mass formation. Uh, and if you want to, to go against it, then that's one of the things you have to do the opposite. It's a very good
0: show solidarity within the individuals. Yeah, very good distinction that uh, we were sacrificing for the group and not for each other. All right. So, and finally, what are the voice, the modern voices that you listen to now? Who, who are those modern voices that you think are saying good things and we should pay attention to?
1: Ah, oh, the modern voices. There are a few that I like very much. I never said that before on a podcast. I like Charles Eisenstein very much.
0: You know him? No, I'm writing it down. Charles, Charles. Eisenstein. I so. he just
1: uh, wrote this wonderful book The Coronation
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, Zach Bush is also someone I like to listen to mm-hmm. um, people like uh, Dr. Malone mm-hmm. uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Dr. McCullough mm-hmm. um, all very important internationally um, well, I could add an almost endless list, I think. It seems you like uh, the voices who are speaking Ryan out. Rainer me, because he yeah. uh, really tries to to uh, remind people and institutions and individuals that there is something like justice in this world. Right. Um, I, there are so many people. Michael Heaton. Um, yes. Okay. No. But I like uh, the level of... Uh, well, the more philosophical authors, yep. uh, I really like uh, Charles Eisenstein and
0: Zach yes. Bush. Yeah, I'm going to check out Eisenstein. Thank you very much, uh, Matisse. But thank you for um, spending time to talk uh, on this. Thank you for going broad beyond just mass formation today. I very much appreciate that. If people want to purchase your book, they should because it is good. It's not just about mass formation; it's about all the things we talked about, the psychology of totalitarianism. I will put the link in the description below.
1: Thank well, you very much. Thank
0: you. Thank you very much, sir. Oh, uh, parting question. Uh, how You're in Belgium. What, what do you think of uh, us here in Melbourne, the most locked down city in the world? Are you aware of our craziness in Australia and New Zealand and Canada?
1: Yes. I'm in touch with some people in Australia and they tell me how crazy things are there. Yes. Yeah. okay. I know. All right. I'm know. i sorry, we'll try and do of, a bit. I mean, in- a lot of strength, a lot of courage, and yeah. we have to continue all together to speak out and to uh,
0: to, uh, to resist. All right. Thank you, sir. Good night. Thanks, Matt.